Mud Stories, Episode 2. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. We are at a place in time, in history, in society, in our culture, that this is not just a man's battle anymore. That women are hungry for attention and affection and comfort. And we often look to sex and relationships to medicate that emotional pain. Hey friends, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Well, welcome. Today I'm talking to Shannon Etheridge, and I can't be more excited to share this interview with you. Shannon is a million copy best selling author of the Every Woman's Battle series, one of the very first books of hers that I read. She's an international speaker and certified life coach with a master's degree in counseling and human relations, and she's also the author of over 20 books. And I must say, it just feels so right to me today to have Shannon here as my very first guest here at Mud Stories, because when I was deep in my mud and God was pulling me out, it was her words in her books that helped me so very much in my journey. And I don't know about you, but when I read a book, I just feel like I get to know the author so well, and I still have yet to get to meet Shannon in person. But two years ago, when I was at the Illum conference, Shannon was promoting her BLAST mentoring program, which stands for Building Leaders, Authors, Speakers, and Teachers. And at that conference, she held a rafflecopter raffle to sponsor one Illum attendee to join the BLAST program. And can I just say... God is just so good and knows just what our hearts need because in his kindness and sovereignty, I ended up winning that raffle. And for the past year, I have had the privilege of getting to know Shannon personally and have so benefited from her leadership and mentorship. So it's just so moving and surreal to me how God provides even the smallest details to meet our heart's desires. So in this episode, Shannon discusses her mud story how her ministry over the past 20 years was birthed out of her greatest pain. She tells us about the neon sign she had on her forehead as she hungered for attention and affection, and how the disastrous choices of her past actually prepared her to become the very author and speaker she is today. Together, we discuss how our sexuality can be like a pendulum swing, what role sexual fantasies play in our lives, and how we all really can find balance and healing from our past emotional, sexual, and relational pain. And now, on to our conversation with Shannon. Enjoy. Hi, Shannon. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. Hey, Jackie. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I am so thankful you're here to share with us some parts of your mud story today. And I just have to say before we start, you have been such an integral part of my healing, the healing that I've gone through through my mud story. And I just wanted to tell everybody listening a little bit of background of how I connected with you. Yeah. Um, and you might not even know this, but... Back in 2010, I was asked to lead a Bible study at my church, and it was the first time in the decade since um, my story that I had, even I entertained the idea of sharing my story publicly. 
And so I was struggling with what should I, what should I teach on and what should I talk about? And I just kept feeling God say, you need to share what I've done in your life. And so I went to Barnes and Noble and I was looking in the bookstore for a book that I could use. And that is the day that I found every woman's battle. (laughs) And here I was a decade later, you know, I had made some significant healing progress. But as I dove into every woman's battle, I was introduced to you and the awesome conversational way in which you write. And it just resonated so much with me. And I went on to look for everything you'd written. Um, I found completely his and sexually confident wife later and just all the different books and resources, uh, podcasts that you'd recorded or talks that you'd given that were online. And and it was the same summer God intersected with me to that I really began to read his word on a regular basis. And it was June that year. And so I had started on my checkoff check list as I was on my reading plan. I had started in First Kings and, and Second Chronicles, crazy enough. That's kind of a crazy place to start reading. <laughs> reading through the Bible. But you know, so many years throughout my Christian life, I had started in Genesis. And so anyway, the day after I began uh, listening to you read to me completely his on audiobook, I found Second Chronicles 16, 9, which I had never read before in my Christian life. And it said, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. <laughs> and um, it's, It was as if God whispered to me, I see you. I see your heart seeking after me. And I've been watching you heal and I've been helping you heal. And I am going to strongly support you as you prepare to lead this group of women this summer and share your story. And so that was the summer that I taught through your book and also Julie Slattery's book, um, No More Headaches. And those women's lives, we were changed together because of your faithfulness to write those words in, in that book and the books subsequent to that. And so I just can't thank you enough for who you are to me and how you've given of yourself through your time and words to help so many of us heal and continue to be healed through your work. So well, Jackie, it has been such a privilege for me to get to watch you blossom over these past several months as I've had the opportunity to mentor you as you've been building your own ministry platform. And I'm just so proud of you for taking off your mask and being real and not just sharing your own mud stories, but giving other people opportunities to share theirs. I just think that it's the power of our testimony that defeats the enemy and that helps us all to realize that we are not alone. And that is one of the most healing concepts on the planet to know that that we're not alone in our sin. We're not alone in our struggles. We're not alone in our victories, that it's the body of Christ working and moving and breathing and healing together. And that God is always ever present. And, you know, I had, I have, I confess, I had actually forgotten about that passage reference to completely his. So thanks for the reminder. Oh, it was just <laughs> I love that passage. It was just like God became so real and intimate to me in those moments of that summer. And actually that reading through the Bible for the first time, that was my first year. I think I was 38 years old. I read finally through the Bible for the first time in an entire year. And since then have, um, you know, been able to do that continuously. And I, I looked up in my journal this morning before, before speaking to you, and that was day number eight of my (laughs) continuous nonstop time with God. And I think I'm almost approaching a thousand this week. And, um, Yeah. And it's just been such, 
such a gift to to have somebody because you know I think we mentor people not only the in life people that we're in relationship with but our reach can go beyond what we can even imagine if we're just faithful like you had been to just write what God called you to write and birth what he asked you to do and it's painful but it's so worth it. And so it's just such a gift to be able to share that with you to encourage you. It is. And we are living in a day and age where it is so easy to reach people on the other side of the planet with all this, you know, Skype and podcasts and video and all that jazz. And so it does make you wonder, you know, what kind of responsibility do we hold to use all this technology that's at our fingertips to advance the message that God is absolutely smitten with us and is wooing us and pursuing us into an, into a more intimate relationship with him. And that we don't have to wallow in the mud repeatedly that he, um, he throws us a line and he rescues us and he redeems us and he gives us stories to share and we need to be sharing them. So thank you for creating this podcast and making it possible for other people to share their stories too. Oh, it's my, my pleasure. I just love hearing how God meets people in the midst of their mud. It's just beautiful. Mm. So in your life, let's, let's go back and talk about, I know your ministry has been birthed out of your own personal times in the mud. Mm-hmm. And so take us back. And <laughs> I'm so glad you understand that. <laughs> I do. And I think a lot of people listening will understand for sure. Yeah, It's not a special gift or talent or anything like that. It's, it's that God used my sin. Uh, you know, he takes our lemons and, and he makes lemonade out of it. And sometimes our sin is all we have to offer him really. But, um, yeah, people look at my ministry and, you know, we're coming up on our like almost 20th year, um, here in the next couple of years. And to think about how it all started is a really humbling reminder. Um, it was back in 1990, well, it actually started in 1995. Um, I had a three-year-old daughter and a newborn son. And that particular year I had been a youth pastor. And when my son was born, I decided to take some time off. And um, I had been praying, okay, God, I sense that it's time for me to go back into some sort of youth ministry position. So could you please open a door? That was the, my my biggest heart's cry is, God, please open a door into ministry once again for me. And my best friend, Lisa, approached me during that season and said, hey, since you're not working right now, do you want to come and do Bible study fellowship with me? And I asked her, I said, well, what are you studying? And she said, well, it's the book of John this year. And in my pride, I was kind of like, well, I've already read the book of John, <laughs> but an opportunity to, to get out of the house once a week and leave my kids with my husband and go have some, some girl time with a Bible study full of girls that just, it was like, yeah, I can totally do that. <laughs> so <laughs> that started in September of 1995. And on December 16th that year, Um, I had been to dinner with my friend and her husband, and um, that night I was looking so forward to a great night's sleep. I'm a sleep addict. I love sleep. And on this particular night, I woke up at two in the morning, wide awake, could not figure out why I couldn't go back to sleep. And I had this thought of, you know, I have been really busy lately during the holidays, and I asked, God, did you wake me up because you want to tell me something? And all of a sudden, a gentle rain shower started outside my bedroom window. 
And at first I was thinking, ooh, it's like the God of the universe is talking to me through the weather. And then I thought, no, God doesn't do that, Shannon. You're such a narcissist to think that every little thing is about you. But then it hit me how many times in the Bible that God does use a supernatural act of you know weather to, to communicate to someone. And so I just kind of went with it. I was just kind of laying there thinking, okay, God, well, what do you want to tell me? And I had this thought that someone is about to die. And I thought, oh, well, it's probably my grandparents. And, and then I thought, no, God wouldn't wake me up to tell me something I've already been expecting for years. And then I thought, oh, what if it's one of my parents? And at the time, I had such a rocky relationship with my dad that I honestly thought, oh, well, that wouldn't even affect me. And God has done a major work in our relationship. And today, it certainly would affect me. But at the time, that's what I thought, in all honesty, but then I thought, but what if it's my mom? And I was kind of thinking, oh, my mom is my best friend and I don't know if I can handle that. But I kept getting this feeling that, no, it's someone even closer to home. And so I'm laying there and the rain gets really heavy and it starts thundering and lightning. And I'm looking at my husband thinking, how in the world are you sleeping through this storm? And my thought was, oh God, please don't let it be Greg. Because my biggest fear is that if something happened to Greg, I would no longer have someone lying in my bed every night to hold me accountable from returning back to the sexual sin that I was so entrenched in as a teenager. That I, I knew that a dog would return to its vomit, or a fool would re return to its folly like a dog returns to its vomit. And so I was just begging God, please don't let it be Greg. But then all of a sudden, my thoughts turned down the hall to my three-year-old daughter and my newborn son. And I was just hyperventilating and going, please, God, please don't let it be one of them. Um, and I had actually um, lost a sister when she was eight years old. And I saw how it wrecked my parents and my family. Mm. And I was just begging God, please, please, please don't let that happen to us. Mm. And so after about two hours of wrestling and bawling and listening to all the thunder and lightning, all of a sudden, I just had this thought that Shannon, you've had some huge tragedies happen in your life and God has always given you the strength to handle it. And what makes you think this will be any different? And as soon as I embraced that notion, the rain completely stopped. There was no thunder, no lightning, only a bird chirping outside. And so I'm laying there at about 4.30 in the morning thinking, okay, this is totally weird. I couldn't go back to sleep. I got up and ate a bowl of cereal. I finally <laughs> drifted off to sleep probably about 5.30 and the alarm went off at six. And so I got up with my husband and I told him the entire experience. And I said, do you think that I was dreaming? And he said, do you think you were dreaming? And so I went to the kitchen and I saw the cereal bowl and spoon in the sink. And I knew that I had not been dreaming. And so the following Monday night at Bible study fellowship, I told my best friend, Lisa, about the whole experience. And I told her, I said, I'm not telling you this so that you'll think that I'm special, that God wakes me up in the middle of the night to talk to me. I'm telling you this so that you'll remind me that God will give me the strength to handle it when whoever that's going to die dies. I didn't say if I said when, cause I knew in my mm. deep in my gut, I just knew it. And so two months passed by and Jackie, if you can imagine the panic I felt each and every day, just saying goodbye to my husband as he leaves for work. I'm just like making this big production and here, honey, here's your lunch. And just know that if I don't see you this afternoon, if you don't make it home, I love you. And you've been a great husband. And he's like, Shannon, get a grip. I'm not going to die today. <laughs> you were in this heightened phase of oh, anxiety. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. And with my children, I actually took them out of Mother's Day out. 
thinking that if I can just keep them in my sight, I can keep anything bad from happening to them. And I wore myself out for two months. And then on February 13th of 1996, I went to Bible study fellowship that night. And instead of sitting up front with my girlfriends, I slithered into the back pew and I was so fragile. And I just said, God, I don't know who it is that has to die, but I think I can take the death easier than I could take the limbo. And so whoever it is, just take them. If it's my husband, then take him. If it's my daughter, then take her. If it's my son, then take him. And I was just sobbing in that back pew. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, the lecture leader had us open up our Bibles to John 12, 24, which says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it reproduces an entire field of wheat. Yes. And I got so mad. <laughs> I sat through the rest of the lecture, but I didn't, I didn't hear a word she said. As soon as they dismissed us, mm-hmm. I stormed through the parking lot and I was yelling at God at the top of my lungs. Because you finally figured out who needed to die. Exactly. Yes. It was like a thunderbolt that came through the stained glass window of that church. And God said, it's you, Shannon. It's you that has to die. Mm. And I stormed that parking lot screaming, I don't know what kind of game you're playing here, God, but you know, I wanted to marry this guy, this guy, and this guy, and I sense you wanted me to marry Greg. No regrets, but I died to myself, and I married the guy I thought you wanted me to. Um, I wanted to remodel the house, but I sensed you wanted us to give more money to the church building campaign, so I died to myself, and I gave you my finances. I wanted to become a doctor and wait 10 years to have kids, but no, I got pregnant, and I said she wanted me to go into youth ministry. So I gave you my family planning. I gave you my <laughs> vocation that I don't know what else I could possibly have to die to God. So you're going to have to be crystal clear with me. I love how we remind God about all the ways we've been so amazing. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and don't you get how great I am? God? Right. Like, have you forgotten? Did you not yes, see? Yes. <laughs> and so you can imagine that God was probably sitting up in heaven with his arms folded and a big Cheshire cat grin on his face going crystal clear. Okay. I can do that. I can do that. Yep. So the very next day, which was February 14th, Valentine's day, I am on my way to a lunch appointment that I have scheduled with my aerobics instructor. And how this happened is I was on my way out of aerobics class the week before, and he was showing someone some pictures And nosy me looks over their shoulder to see what they're looking at. And it was a picture of him in a priest uniform. And I said, James, are you in ministry? And he said, no, that was a Halloween party. And he said, why do you ask? And I said, well, because I'm in ministry. I just wondered if you are too. And he said, you are. And the look on his face, it was evident it was not a compliment the way that he was asking me that question. <laughs> that was sort of a surprise to him. It very much a surprise to him. And so I said, yeah, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, oh, no, I'm a recovering Roman Catholic. Well, I interpreted that to mean that oh, James needs Jesus and I need to be the one to share it with him, you know, or share him with him. <laughs> and so the following class, when James asked if I would like to go to lunch the following Tuesday, it didn't register on me that he was asking me to have lunch at an intimate chocolate shop in downtown Dallas on Valentine's Day. Oh. Yeah. And so on my way. You're just planning to go meet him and share Jesus with him. I'm just being a little missionary. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Which I have to laugh at, you know, in hindsight. 
So the way to the restaurant, I'm driving down the road and I'm just praying, oh Lord, help me share your love with James. And and then I just got honest with God and I said, but help me stay focused on my mission because his bulging biceps could be a potential distraction here. <laughs> because he was very attractive. There was something about him. He was much older than me. Um, and even though it's not really an authority over you, it's kind of a perceived authority when someone is teaching a class that you're taking. And so he kind of fit that father figure mold that I had in my mind, you know, yes. with such a rocky relationship with my dad. And so we sit down over lunch and he leans forward and says to me, would you like to know why I invited you today? And I said, sure. And he said, it's because you have a neon sign on your forehead. And I said, well, what does that neon sign say? And he said, it tells me that you're hungry for attention and affection. And I thought he was coming on to me. Hmm. And so I leaned back in my chair and I said, well, how do I get that neon sign off? Because I'm a happily married woman in ministry and that is not the image I want to be projecting to the world. And he said, do you really want to know how to get it off? And I said, yeah. And he replied, Shannon Etheridge, you have got to die to yourself. Wow. And all of a sudden, my eyes just filled with tears. I couldn't even blink because I knew they'd just come pouring down my cheeks. And I'm hyperventilating once again. And I'm just thinking, has this guy been a fly on the wall of my brain the past two months? Or is is he like an angel that God has sent to right? me to communicate a message? Or you know what? And so he said, Shannon do you trust me enough to take a walk with me? And at first I was like, no, that would be totally inappropriate for you and I to do that. Not even realizing how inappropriate what we were doing already, already. was. Yeah. But on, but on Valentine's day, this intimate little chocolate shop was so packed with people and we were having to yell at each other. It was not very conducive to have a heart to heart. So I said, you know, if we go to a public track or if we go to a public place, and take our separate cars, then, then I'm willing to talk with you. So we went to a track down the street at a local college. And the first words out of his mouth when we started walking is, tell me about your relationship with your dad. Mm. And I got angry. And I said, I didn't come here to talk about my father. Thank you very much. Next subject. He said, okay, fair enough. And so his next question was, so have you ever been incested? And I said, look, my dad was mean and did some horrible things, but he was never sexually inappropriate with me. So no. And he said, well, I wasn't necessarily talking about your dad. Anybody else in your family or your neighborhood or your school or your church? You know, it, were they ever inappropriate with you? Well, I hadn't thought of it in years, but I had three uncles in my family that when I started developing breasts and hips at around 11 or 12 years old, they started playing these games with me. Mm -hmm. Of, oh, well, how far have you gone with a boy? And how far would you let me go? And can I touch you here or here? And let's just keep this our little secret because your parents would never understand our special love for each other. And of course, I didn't understand that they're not loving me. They're lusting after me. And I need to tell my parents and have them held accountable. But I was afraid that if I told my parents, I would be the one to get in trouble because I had to admit that I liked the feeling of power that it gave me that I could turn a man's head and get his attention. Mm. And so I just kept it our little secret. And so I answered honestly that actually three uncles in my family had 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 a bet going on amongst themselves as to which one would get Shannon in bed first. But I said, that didn't affect me because I didn't let them have sex with me. And he said, okay, so how soon after that did you lose your virginity? Mm. And I said, well, uh, 14 years old. And he said, and how soon after that did you come become promiscuous? 
And I was like, well, 15 years old. And then I was like, wait a minute, stop. Mm. How do you know to ask these questions? Like, where is this coming from? How do you know me so well when all I've ever done is come into your aerobics class? And he said, Shannon, you come to my aerobics class dressed not to sweat, but to make other men sweat. And he said that neon sign on your forehead tells me again, that you're hungry for attention and affection. And he said, the reason that I see it is because it takes one to know one. And he said, I am a recovering sex and love addict. And he said, I've been in sex and love addicts anonymous for years. And he said, every time I slept with another woman, he said, I realized it was basically my way of saying, see ma, screw you. Somebody really does love me. Somebody mm. really does think that I'm worthy of attention and affection. And that rang so true in my spirit that every time I had been with one of the 50 or more partners that I had had as a teenage girl, that it was really my way of saying, see, dad, somebody really does find me attractive. Somebody really does want to spend time with me. And so I said, James, what do I do? You know, <laughs> okay, so obviously you've shown me this neon sign. Obviously you're right. I do need to die to myself, but what do I do now? And he said, well, here's a card to a female counselor at a women's shelter who can help you, but I can't be your counselor. He said, in fact, you need to find a different aerobics class to come to. He said, we can't even be friends. He said, for you and I to continue having any kind of relationship would be like two alcoholics having an AA meeting in a bar. <laughs> yes, so, yes. So he basically shook my hand and wished me the best and sent me on my way. And so I went home that afternoon and my husband had come home early and he was lying on the bed and I sat down next to him and I told him every single word that I could remember of the conversation. And Greg just started weeping. And he said, Shannon, I've been praying for five years that God would send someone into your life to show you these things about yourself that I just couldn't find the words to help you see. And I said, well, Greg, I, I think that God or no, I asked him, I said, why do you think that God would send a man to tell me these things? And Greg said, probably because it's the only person that you would actually listen to. And wow. I realized that God had sent an angel in my life dressed in a tank top with bulging biceps, <laughs> just, you know, the type of angel I would actually pay attention to. Uh, but you know, he, it just shows how faithful he is to give us what we need to get our attention. And so Jackie, I went through six months of intense group and individual counseling with this female counselor who was also a recovering sex and love addict herself. Hmm. And after those six months, she said to me, Shannon, I'm kicking you out. She said, I'm starting to ask you more questions than you are of me. And I just feel as if it's time for you to go share your story with other people. And I was like, wow. Whoa, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for that. You know, <laughs> I'm not about to go tell people about all this. And she said, Shannon, there are so many women who struggle with this very thing. And she said, it would be a shame for you to have gone through these six months and all this healing, all this counseling and not share that with other people. She said, that would be hiding your light under a bushel. Powerful. Yeah. The more I thought about it, the more I realized, what have I got to lose? Like, it's not like people are going to go run, tell my husband, he already knew everything. And I had been praying that God would open up a door in youth ministry and so I actually started speaking to youth groups on saving sex until marriage. And at first I thought, I'm not the person to share that message. I'd be the biggest hypocrite on the planet. But I sensed that God was saying, Shannon, 
you know both sides of the fence, that you with your promiscuous background, but I had married a 26-year-old virgin who was such a sexually healthy person. And I just thought, yeah, I, I do want to help people learn from my mistakes and be inspired by my husband's story. And so that's how Shannon Etheridge ministry started is I just was speaking to high school students, speaking to college students, but over the past 20 years, I've grown with my audience. And so now I speak more to adult women and married couples and it's blossomed into, um, at most recent count, it's 22 books. It's 20 nonfiction books and two fiction books, all on the topic of either healthy sexuality or healthy spirituality. It started with the Every Woman's Battle series, and I don't have time to get into that story, but it was a total divine uh, encounter for me to connect with Stephen Arterburn through a, a literary agent, Stephen being the one who created the Every Man's Battle series along with Fred Stoker. And it had already hit the bestseller list. And so I had the opportunity to create the female corollary series to an existing bestselling series. Yes. And didn't you write about that story? I think we can read about that in something that you've written. Yes. You wrote in, about in, that story. In Completely His. The yes. last chapters. Yeah. I love Completely His. It's, Thank you. Yes. Uh, so yeah, for, for me to publish my first book at 35 years old, and for it to hit the bestseller list within the first week of its release. That was such a surreal experience, but such confirmation that my counselor was right. I needed to share this story. There were lots of women out there who were broken and hungry and confused and desperate and in need of that kind of guidance. And then I got a call the week of my 40th birthday, five years later, from my publisher saying, we have a birthday present for you. And I said, well, what is it? And they said, well... Um, over the past five years, um, with the Every Woman's Battle series, uh, and and then I had had the Completely His series with the main book and the five, uh, or the four devotionals in that series, it's a five book series, they said, you have now sold over a million copies um, worldwide in 25 different languages. Wow. And I was just sitting there flabbergasted that God would give... Just, you know, a simple girl from Greenville, Texas, who looked for love in all the wrong places and who decided just to put herself out there and see if anybody else needed some ministry and encouragement in that regard. I just couldn't believe that God would use me as a mouthpiece to reach that many women in that many countries all across the world. And so it's just been, again, such a experience. But what it tells me is that we are at a place and time in history, in society, in our culture, that this is not just a man's battle anymore, that no. women are hungry for attention and affection and comfort. And we often look to sex and relationships to medicate that emotional pain. And don't you think that your brokenness, I mean, your counselor recommended that you tell your story, that is a frightening thing for people to tell their stories. But I it resonates with me so much in your example that you were willing to tell your story. And it's really that broken piece of our own stories that gives people that feeling of us being transparent and authentic. And I think they probably listened more to you about abstinence and healthy sexuality in their adolescence than maybe they would have someone who knew all the right answers, but maybe hadn't experienced that side of failure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of think of it as, you know, when you're sitting in a church pew and you're looking at the amazing stained glass window in front of you, you have to realize that that beautiful work of art is made from tons of little broken pieces. 
And I think that that's a beautiful description of the body of Christ of together. We're something beautiful, but individual, we're just broken pieces, just making up a part of the tapestry, if you will. And so I've continued to, to, you know, just travel the country and, you know, other countries to just speaking. Um, I do a lot of one-on-one coaching with women or with couples, um, through Skype, over the phone, uh, face-to-face if they want to come to Tyler, Texas. And most recently over the past year, I've been doing these four day intensive workshops for women. Yes. Tell us about that. Yeah. It's called women at the well workshops and it's limited to, to eight to 10 women, at a time who gather together in my living room over a four day span of time to really unpack their sexual and emotional baggage, to try to connect the dots and understand the bigger picture of why have I looked for love in all the wrong places or why am I tempted to do that now? Or why have I shut down sexually? Why does the idea of sex, even with my husband, just totally turn me off and repulse me? Um, what I've learned over these 20 years of counseling other women and counseling myself all along the way is that our sexuality is like a pendulum swing. And sometimes we swing too far to the left and we act out and do things that we're shocked that we're even capable of doing. And other times we swing too far to the right, being way too conservative and just shutting ourselves down sexually in some sort of attempt to be self-protective or to survive or withdraw or to punish or whatever. And my goal is to help women find a healthy sexual balance in the middle where she can embrace a healthy sense of sexuality and have sex without guilt, shame, or inhibition, but only with her husband, that she would never dream of doing that with anyone else. That's where I think that we're called to live is in that healthy middle ground, but it certainly is a challenge for some women to find that. Well, and, and in my experience, the women I've spoken with and interacted with, and maybe it's the same for you, is that our experiences and our failures, especially sexually, really do affect our marriages eventually. And there are issues that women are facing in the quiet spaces of their minds, in their marriages that they aren't really sharing with anyone challenges sexually challenges emotionally, staying connected with their husbands or, or really enjoying sex as married women. And it's often some of these issues, you know, you talked about the pendulum, that pendulum swing to the left, sometimes those issues need to be really surfaced, and dealt with and before we can in enjoy not living in the pendulum right that we've swung over to. Exactly. It's when we sweep all that stuff under the rug that we create a big hump that we trip over yes. and, and, and again, act out either, you know, with another person or we shut down by not even being intimate with the person we're supposed to be intimate with. Right. Women experience it all the time. And And that's what I loved about your book, The Fantasy Fallacy, because even in a healthy marriage, there are thoughts and ideas in our minds that we don't verbalize or speak to anyone or hardly even understand ourselves. And yet that book helped show us it's not wrong to have a fantasy, but it's important to understand what's underneath and behind those fantasies so that we can Uh, unearth them and deal with them and let them help us heal instead of 
be hidden in shame and guilt in an ongoing wedge in our marriages. Right. We have to realize that sexual fantasies are really just the brain's way of trying to heal itself from past emotional trauma. And so the interesting thing is that if you were honest and just kind of created a map of where your sexual fantasies generally take you in your own mind, whether you've actually acted out in that way or not is beside the point. But where does your brain go in order to to get yourself aroused and to cross the finish line or trip the trigger, if you will, to experience orgasm? And I guarantee you that if you look at those thoughts and then you look at the, the traumatic things that have happened in your life, the losses, the divorces, the emotional disconnection from a mother or from a father or the loss of a sibling or you know, whatever, that you'll see that they're kind of mirror images of each other. And so our brain creates these stories to medicate the emotional pain of our mm-hmm. past. And, and so it's, it's actually quite fascinating. You know, we have to realize that there's very deep psychological needs that drive our sexual fantasies, but we also have to realize that this is simply the brain playing tricks on us or, or opening up pathways for pleasure because the brain can't experience pleasure and pain simultaneously. So it compartmentalizes the pain long enough to experience pleasure, but your sexual fantasies are not a roadmap to future fulfillment. They're a roadmap of your rocky past. Right. And so if you are trying to find someone to act out this particular fantasy with, or you are just going to make a train wreck of your life and your marriage if you are not very, very careful. <laughs> yes, yes. Before we, I, I wanted to talk about some specific benefits of each of the different books because your your books speak to different things. I mean, they have a underlying theme that runs throughout them: sexuality in our marriages and healthy sexuality, as well as intimacy with God. But speak to the women at the well workshops. What have you found is the benefit of actually meeting in person, face to face, for an intense four day? time um, together with other women. Talk talk to us about, I mean, books and reading books and book clubs can help us, but, but how can that really move? Because I get emails from many women who have read my story and they're, they've been through some really tragic, traumatic things. And, you know, the healing process takes so much time. And I, I want you to speak to that, how in person, what's the difference? Yes. Well, definitely a book is, it's huge, especially if you actually read it cover to cover and absorb everything the author is saying. But sometimes you really need to verbally process what you've experienced in your life with a safe other person. And so many people feel as if they don't have a safe person in their lives. Like just this morning, I got an email from a woman who said, I'm a pastor's wife. I can't talk to my husband about these thoughts and feelings I'm having about another man. And there's no one in my church that I could entrust that information to. She said, I feel as if you're the only one on the planet I can share that with. But I've heard that too. Yeah, the reality is we're not, you know, there's not that, not that Jackie and Shannon aren't really special and unique, but the reality is there are lots of women on the planet who are seeking that kind of intimacy and that kind of safety and security in their own lives. And so sometimes it just helps to get together with anonymously with a group of women where they know nothing more about you than your first name. And right. if you don't want to share anything more than that about where you live or who you're married to or anything like that, then it's not an expectation. But the reality is, is that we're we're wounded in relationship. Therefore, we're most likely healed in, in relationship. relationship. But yes. sometimes it's different relationships and that's okay. And also there's a vulnerability level that you can have when they are a stranger. But I, I think what will happen when you, in my experience, when you meet face to face, number one, there is exponentially fast progress that can be made because of the um, 
cumulative packed hours just yes. spent together. Yes. I say that these four days are the equivalent of six months of I agree. individual counseling. I, I went through two solid weeks of counseling um, when I was in the midst of my mud. And I will say it was six hours a day for 10 days in a row. And what I learned to unpack from my, you know, childhood and my just ways of learning and what I had, how I'd learned to perform to get love and just so much of it, I was able to unpack because of the face to face quantity time. Because when you aren't interrupted at that 50 minute mark and the buzzer rings and you walk out of the counselor's office, you know, you're like, but I was just getting going. And you learn so much from other people's from other people's stories too. you go, Hey, wait a minute. That's a familiar thought to me too. And I didn't even you know, that wasn't even on my radar to share. Right. You, you just, and so I just love to encourage anyone listening, you know, if, if the, don't let the money hold you back. If you need this for your soul health, you know, there, there's a way we find to really, you know, fund anything that we really think is important. And exactly. I, I would call it an investment in our heart, you know, and counseling isn't nearly as expensive as divorce. Absolutely. (laughs) And I, from experience, can speak to that. That's a whole nother episode of a month story, I will say. Okay, well, our time is running to a close and I want to be mindful of our time. But I do want you, if you can, just take us through a few of your nonfiction books with a little blurb of what they're about. If people are looking for resources and maybe you're in the process of maybe dreaming of funding a trip to Texas to, to do a workshop with you in person. Certainly. What resources, you know, and tell us what the benefit of each one is, and then take us into your newest uh, books that you're venturing out into the fiction, fiction okay. end. Yes. Sure. The Every Woman's Battle series is really, um, you know, there are books for all stages of life, you know, married women, teenagers, raising young daughters, et cetera, et cetera. This is really for women who need to um, rein in their sexual energies and guard their hearts from extramarital temptations or from premarital uh, temptations. The Completely His series is about not looking for love in all the wrong places, but finding love in the right place through embracing your role as the bride of Christ. Mm. And um, then my most recent books are The Passion Principles about celebrating sexual freedom in marriage and the one that you mentioned, The Fantasy Fallacy, about exposing the deeper meaning behind our sexual thoughts and fantasies. Uh, and then we do have two fiction books. Uh, one is called To Know You and one is called Veil of Secrets. It releases in July. And so if you're not really a nonfiction reader, if you're more of a fiction reader, then that's why we've partnered together with a professional fiction writer to develop those stories, which also support our main missions of sexual integrity, sexual intimacy in marriage, and spiritual intimacy with Christ. But Jackie, I just want to briefly mention the the book that has gotten the most response, but has also got me in the most hot waters called The Sexually Confident Wife, about yes. connecting with your husband, mind, body, heart, and spirit. Yes. When that book first came out, there were there were 99% of the people shouting, hooray, hooray, finally, uh, a Christian author is talking so openly and honestly and graphically about all things sexual. And it was a book actually written for the mainstream market, but people could tell by my sexual values that I was a Christian. But there was about 1% of the Christian population that freaked out that I was talking about varying positions and oral sex and sex toys and just everything under the sun. What's right? What's wrong? Yep. Right. That everything else that the world feels the freedom to talk about, I decided Christians should feel the freedom to talk about it too. Amen, sister. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the groups that did not take too kindly to me boldly going where no Christian had gone before was a ministry that I had been working for for 10 years, just, just part-time, just stepping on their campus and teaching a few classes. Well, I had started a mentorship program there for aspiring writers and speakers just that year that this book was released in 2008. Well, when they responded that, Shannon, if if you're going to write about sexuality in marriage, and this is a college campus where none of these students are married, we feel as if it's time for our ministries to part ways because we're afraid that our teenagers and our single people will be tempted to read your books for married people. And I thought, really, would that be the end of the world for them to prepare for a healthy marriage someday? Mm. Come on. But, you know, I had to accept that this was, you know, this is how they felt. So I was so devastated, but that very, the very next morning, um, you know, I had my my eyes were just swole, almost swollen shut from crying. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I lost my job at this ministry that I loved so much. And God just dropped an acronym in my spirit: B L A S T, building leaders, authors, speakers, and teachers. Mm-hmm. And God showed me that it's not just college students that I'm called to equip to become writers and speakers and the future leaders of the world. That really, there's people all over the world who if I just created online curriculum where they could just watch videos every month and connect with a small group and know what books to read, that I could guide them toward expanding their own ministry platform. And so that's how I met you, Jackie, personally. It came up to my radar was when you applied to the BLAST program last year. And I was so delighted to find out what you had already been doing to lay the foundation. And I'm just so excited to get to be a part of you building on that foundation. But I do want to say that for those women or men, who are listening to this podcast and who are thinking, you know, I would love to turn my story into a ministry someday. I would really love to bless other people with the wisdom that God has imparted to me. I would hope that they would visit blastmentoring.com and consider joining us for one of our one-year classes. They start quarterly, so we'll have one launching July 1st, October 1st, January 1st, or April 1st, but they can learn more at blastmentoring.com. And I love that. You know, it's such a God story that I got to be involved in Blast with you, and it has been just such a gift to be able to sit under your, you know, experience and your wisdom. The videos that you've created are so helpful. You just unpack everything and we build as if we were to build a house Mm -hmm. and um, you teach us whether we want to, you know, just share our story in person with the people that are around us, or if we would like to build something online, or if you've really created many resources that are so valuable for us to really learn from. And so I've just been so appreciative to have been involved in Blast. Well, I'm just glad that you have been soaking up all that we've been pouring out and you are just incredibly fertile soil, Jackie Watkins. I love sowing seeds into your life and ministry. And just thanks so much for having me on your show to to talk about the journey that God has had me on. And I don't think he's done yet. I'm only 46 and I I shudder to think, okay, God, what else do I have to die to? But I'm willing. (laughs) I know I'm right behind you at 43 and I'm just, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in the next 40 years of our lives. You know, there's just so much ahead. And so thank you for taking the time. It was such a delight to talk to you. Just a dream of mine to connect with you. And just from the foundation of what had been laid through your books and your resources, and then now to have been through Blast and be connecting with you in person has just been just so beautiful how God's done that in my own life too. So thank you, Shannon. You bet. God bless your girlfriend and your listeners too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that concludes this episode of Mud Stories. 
Thank you so much for listening. I know there are so many things you could be doing today, and yet you chose to be here with me listening to this podcast, and I just cannot be more grateful. Don't forget, you can find the show notes and all the links mentioned in this episode over at mudstories.com, or you can always go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode two. And over there, feel free to leave any comments, questions, or suggestions either in the comment section of the post or by sending me a voicemail or email message. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you would head on over to iTunes and leave a rating or review or even subscribe to the podcast because it's my understanding that this will help make such a difference in others finding this podcast so they can be encouraged too. So today, no matter where we've been, what we're facing, or what lies ahead, may we find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. A never-ending marble fills a press upon my mind. A pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind. I cannot see beyond the blame and I never will find a way out. And then I feel you next to me. You lift my head to see. Your strong arm reaches to me. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. A never ending mother fails to press upon my that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you Sweet grace, and you lead me to a safer place. You overwhelm my broken thoughts, and you mend my lost and damaged heart. I find myself where I belong in your safe embrace. There's a grateful song to sing, a grateful song to sing. Grateful song